Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. Forget just chasing revenue. In a world of rising ad costs and thin margins, what truly counts is your profit. Enter Store Hero, your new ally in profit-centric growth. Unifying sales, marketing, and cost data, Store Hero unveils your real profitability down to each order. Now you can scale ad spend with confidence, backed by data, actionable insights from a platform that thinks beyond revenue. And exclusively for you, our listeners, mention the unofficial Shopify podcast, and you'll get a free profitability audit for 2024. Ready to step into a new era of e-com clarity? Visit storehero.ai and discover a platform designed for the profit-driven brand. New year right around the corner. So I, I, I already know it. On the mind of every ambitious entrepreneur, every ambitious merchant this time of year is you know, New Year's resolutions. New year, new you, new store. This is going to be my big best year ever. How do I make my store better as a New Year's goal? I No shame in it. I think we all have these thoughts around this time of year. And I think part of that, you also, you have to reflect on what worked, what didn't you know, larger industry trends and try and come up with a vision, a plan, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we should blow everything up and start over. Either way, we're going to talk through it with someone today and hear uh, maybe a, a systematized approach to improving an existing Shopify store. And so joining us is Chase Clymer. Chase, uh, in a, a very similar position to myself, he's been with Shopify many years. He's a Shopify partner. He's a uh, owns a Shopify agency, hosts a podcast about e-commerce, honest e-commerce. If you like this one, you'll probably like that one. And uh, he's in the Midwest. So wonderful Midwestern modest values like myself, maybe. I don't know. I'm actually not that modest. But Mr. Chase Clymer, I'm interested in your expertise on optimizing Shopify stores. You've done quite a bit, bit of that. Chase, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh... It's been we've known each other for seven or eight years now, and it's the first time I actually made it on the show. Really? Yeah, yeah. We kept trying. I am so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I'm here now. It's worth the wait. Like in my head, you had been on the show. Of course you had. Well, we have done so much just content together and we've been in masterminds and whatnot. We always see each other. Uh, but no, I don't th- I don't think I've been on it. Maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. So okay, let's talk, let's talk e-com. And I think to look forward. If you can, we got to look backwards. Some hindsight is necessary. So if you were to reflect a moment on the past year, were there any shifts you noticed in e-commerce in general or Shopify? Yeah, I think the one that's just been happening incrementally ever since you know COVID, which is just the cost of acquisition and advertising expenses have gone really through the roof. Which luckily for yourself and I and what our shops are good at, it has helped these merchants look at where they can become more profitable and eking out all these advantages through conversion rate optimization and raising average order value has become more and more top of mind for these merchants as they realize they can't just throw more money at advertising to be profitable. That was that was a big thing uh, that I've noticed last year and kind of just ever since COVID. Um, additionally, been a huge rise in shortening uh, kind of the advertising funnel and landing pages that's super popular, especially now and right before Q4. It was really, really popular stuff, which has been really fun to, to do with Shopify 2.0. And we can talk more about that later. Um, and then lastly, uh, influencer seeding at the top of the funnel. I don't know why everything that I'm thinking about is marketing and advertising related when we don't do any of that at the agency, but those are the things that are on top <laughs> of my mind. It's funny. Yeah, I do not sell marketing services. We don't do digital marketing at all. And yet I know a ton about it and think about it all the time. But I, I think you're right. And I, 
everything is cyclical. 10, 15 years ago, it was all about you know, bootstrapping and the lean startup was the book on every founder's shelf. And you know, we were we concerned about profitability. And then we had you know, low interest rates for a while and we had surplus checks. And suddenly, you know, those budgets and profitability weirdly became less important for a time. And then uh, it, we're just seeing the pendulum swing back the other way. We're like, hey, let's focus on on profitability and uh, making efficient operating choices with our businesses. And I think both are fun. Fancy. I wish I, I knew the term, but there's this fancy thing that's basically just like gross margin with everything considered. And it's like, if you don't know this number, you're not a real e-commerce entrepreneur. And it's just like, whoa, it's so hardcore now. I, immediately, I'm skeptical of any advice that starts with, if you're, like, if you're not X, if you're not doing Y, then you know, anything that presents itself as disqualifying you for not agreeing with the author. Kurt, uh, how am I going to get internet suspect. likes if I'm not just so binary and so combative? Yeah, it has to be like, this. Is, I'm right and you're wrong and everyone who disagrees with me is a POS. And that's not point of sale. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who wrote uh, the book on marketing with that as kind of the subject, but it, it works for some people if you want to be that way, but I don't. And that's why I don't have a million Twitter followers or X, yeah. I guess. So you ever go like, man, if I were just evil, I would be so much more successful. Well, that's, that's yeah, psychopathy helps with entrepreneurship and that's a whole different episode. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, I, I had seen those, I think that was floating around in uh, Harvard Business Review. That if you're a psychopath, that, that could be a, a valuable skill as a CEO. Uh, like, oh man, really Patrick helps Bateman. With, it really helps with sales, uh, empathizing. It's oddly enough, they don't have like the emotions to empathize correctly, but they can mimic, which helps with sales. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, all right. So stand psychopaths aside, any uh, strategies, tactics, or features that stood out to you this year? Oh man, we Shopify 2.0 is like fully launched and, and going and single page checkout. We got all the things that they promised us years ago, finally. Uh, and I'm oh. so excited about it. And we went full bore custom for a while was the solution we were going with to solve these problems for merchants. And we just backtracked and ate our words. And we're like, you know what? These 2.0 themes are awesome. <laughs> we're going this way now. That's the, We had the same experience. And I suspect a lot of Shopify uh, theme developers, agencies, and store owners experienced the same thing. Where in the past, it was like, you know, use one theme, customize it, make it do what you want, or build custom templates from the start and then customize on that. Whereas now, the flexibility that those online store 2.0 themes possess means a off-the-shelf theme with custom sections, custom styling in it. It's just incredible. I mean, you just get the best of both worlds. And they're, they're efficient. You know, they're, they're much easier to build and maintain and quicker to build and get to market. Absolutely. I wrote kind of like a manifesto about that on our on our agency website. If you go and click on design and development and scroll down a little bit, it's just basically all about why we're going to start with a premium theme and why headless or custom are potentially a waste of time, energy, and money. I think certainly if we look at this as an evolution of e-commerce, you know, Shopify leads the forefront here. And so how do you think that's going to change the future for Shopify stores now that we have that online store 2.0 feature set is is here and working as promised. I think that more merchants are going to be empowered to control a lot of their design and development. Well, not necessarily development, but a lot of their store design themselves with it not be being gated behind customizations that require like actual code-based knowledge. Um, that's like one of the things we always talk about when we're trying to help merchants is they've got like some crazy custom theme and they're like, we can't even change this headline. It's been wrong for two years. And it's like, yeah, we're going to empower you to do all that stuff because it, it's boring. I don't want to do that. I want to do nerdy stuff. Like, well, we, you know, so helping all that stuff live in the customizer is like just lets their team, their e commerce manager or whomever uh, run with that stuff. So then you can focus on the really interesting stuff. Yeah, I want to I want to build tools for you that let you maintain and run your own store on things you should be able to do, like basic content changes. Yeah, in the past, you'd hire a theme developer. It's nutty, depending on how the theme was implemented. 
Whereas today, I mean, the amount of flexibility you could build into that theme editor and then document it in the theme editor with little notes and tool tips. Oh, I love it. And then combine it with meta fields. I think that yeah. it's like that combination of online store 2.0 plus meta field support. Now I'm like, this feels like a real deal content management system. Well, and with uh, meta objects, which is basically uh, something WordPress had forever. If you remember advanced custom fields, uh, that's basically what it is. And it, now it's like, if you can dream it, you can build it. But the hard part is uh, building like what that inf- information architecture looks like in your mind. That takes some conceptual like ideation to do. It's the same kind of problem that you run into with, with automating. You really have to sit down and think about what's happening and how the data structures need to work before you can do it. And that's why I think it's really hard to sell you know, automation solutions until you tell specifically what it can do. Because doing everything is a hard concept for a lot of people to understand. So you got to like give them really specific examples. So I think it'd be really hard to like run marketing for like Zapier or something. That sounds impossible. Yeah, you... Well, yes, because it is so specific and so um, edge casey. That's why like they... If you've Googled anything around it, you discover that they have so many landing pages. Um, so we talked about Shopify Store 2.0. We, we looked backwards and we're leaning on experience and features. And last year really was a lot of existing stores. We did theme setups for and set them up on Shopify Store, an online store 2.0. And it sounds like you had the same experience. If the theme here is how do I level up my business going into the next year, if you're not on an online store 2.0 theme yet, I'm suspecting that's like do that first. So we do a glorified audit whenever we talk to potential new clients. You know, we call it a Shopify diagnostic, right? And if we know that you're on a 1.0 theme or some weird hacky 2.0 theme, which is like this hybrid that there were some early 2.0 themes that were, you know, that, that weren't what they are now. Yeah, yeah. If we notice that, we immediately are just like, you need to get on a 2.0 theme. That's going to be the best advice we can give you. Sinking, you know, you know, it's just more sunk cost in this old thing that's not going to transfer over. So that's like, yeah, number one advice is if we know it's a 1.0 theme, just just update. We're not even going to do like a code audit or anything. It's not worth it. Um, yeah, you're, you're throwing good money after bad, it sounds like, if you're yeah, investing exactly. in a 1.0 theme. Um, you know, I understand that's in a perfect world though, right? And sometimes it's like, well, it's just not in the budget to to do that this year where we have to do main we have to maintain. You know, there sometimes there are realistic reasons why you can't do that. And, you know, we'll we'll entertain that and we'll talk to people. But you know, the best advice usually is you should just update. I agree with it. And you know, occasionally there are circumstances. Circumstances where people go, look, we're gonna limp this thing along. But I think you're you're doing yourself a disservice. It it ends up being more costly anyway. Cause the the online store 2.0 theme is faster out of the box. We've got better support. Sections everywhere is a delight. In the good in the good themes, every almost every element in there you can just drag and drop within the theme editor and you know, myriad sections. It just gives you a lot of configurability. Plus apps and everything integrate nicely now. Like there's all that awesome stuff about getting on a 2.0, but there's also like all the stuff you're leaving behind on usually this legacy 1.0 theme. They've been on it for three or four years and they've installed and tried 47 different SEO plugins that have turned their spaghetti code into a rat's nest that nobody wants to figure out. Um, There's just so much stuff in there that starting from scratch and rebuilding it, you know, the right way is going to just be infinitely easier to maintain. When making that transition, is there an, an approach that people should take? Something Yeah. So if you've all right, if you made the decision that updating your store to a 2.0 theme is like in the cards for you, um we it's a little bit beyond what we do in our diagnostic, but we do it, you know, it's basically how you scope any project, right? Uh, And we just did this for a client this week. So it's really top of mind for me. So first thing you're going to do is you're going to run through the store and you're going to make note of anything that's like not typical, right? So you're going to want to know, oh, they've got these landing pages here. This needs to be considered in the project. Like Obviously, you're going to be running through their apps and you're going to do an app audit. You're going to be like, these ones affect the front end. 
these one this one can be deleted because it's going to be built into the new version of the code like what is this custom thing here we have to talk about it you know things that are going to really affect the lift of a project are going to be like customizations around bundling stuff that's happening in the cart uh in checkout post purchase like you got to kind of understand all the stuff that's outside of just like what you can rebuild within a theme you also need to really communicate with the client as far as like what scale of customization do they want from like a design perspective and you have to position that statement in a way that doesn't sound like one answer is better it's just got to understand what the the client wants and so it's like uh you know do you want to embrace the limitations of the theme and design it within those constraints which is going to be a faster project uh but it's going to be more kind of like stuck with what it looks like or do you want the freedom and ability to do a full design round and really get this design looking how you feel your customers and need to to interact with your store uh, so you have those conversations about like how far away the design is going to get from whatever 2.0 theme you're going to use, um, and you start to basically tackle all of this stuff in a in a Google Doc. Uh, you really need to understand what templates outside of kind of those standard templates you're going to need to recreate or collaborate with the client on creating. If you're already on Shopify, it's not a migration, and you have made the decision that you want to go to a 2.0 theme. Unless you've got some crazy complexity to like your business, it's a pretty straightforward project, and you should be able to knock it out in two to four months, depending on kind of your complexities. I would I would agree with that. It really depends on how how big is this catalog, how many features are here, how big is this content, how much content, you know, what what special features, how many apps, and the, the sky's the limit on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, but. I could I could like combat you on like some of those things like how big is the catalog? They've got ten thousand products, but it's all the same boring product page because it's some warehouse components, right? Yeah, it's so one that, product that's, template. Yeah, that's not a big lift, but they could have twelve products, but every product needs a custom page because it's got a, a crazy story about where the yarn's from. Like so, then yeah, there's complexity. Crowdfunding campaigns are great. You can add social proof and urgency to your product pre-orders while reducing risk of failure. But with traditional crowdfunding platforms, you're paying high fees and giving away control, all while your campaign is lost in a sea of similar offers. It can be frustrating. That's why we built Crowdfunder, the Shopify app that turns your Shopify product pages into your own independent crowdfunding campaigns. We originally created Crowdfunder for our private clients, and it was so successful, we turned it into an app that anyone can use. Today, merchants using Crowdfunder have raised millions collectively. With Crowdfunder, You'll enjoy real-time tracking, full campaign control, and direct customer engagement. And it's part of the Built for Shopify program, so you know it's easy to use. So say goodbye to high fees and hello to successful store-based crowdfunding. Start your free trial and transform your Shopify store into a pre-order powerhouse today. Search Crowdfunder in the Shopify app store to get started. You know, we, we do so many store migrations that I'm, that's always my first thing. I'm like, all right, how many entities? So how many products? How many collections, customers, orders? That's if I know that, then I in my head I could picture. All right, how big is this building? Yeah, I think we talked about like if you know you're on an old 1.0 theme, right? What's the big project to tackle in Q1 of 2024? Is yeah, you should probably do a redesign. If you're not even on Shopify and you're thinking about moving to Shopify, like that's you should start having those conversations now. Uh, migrations add a month or two to any project to be realistic. And if anyone is telling you otherwise, they're lying to you. I love doing migrations, but it's just a whole whole new can of worms to unpack. January, everybody, you know, we work hard in November. Everybody kind of knocks off for December. And then January was when the Muppets come out of the woodwork. That's when everyone says, I'm going to start this project. I think the, the smart money is on, can you defer that or try and start it in December when I think you'll get more favorable terms? Versus, you know, everyone shows up at these service providers' doorsteps on, you know, January 7th. Yeah, I mean, if you know that you're going to do it and you're like, oh, like, we should just wait until after the holidays, it's, you're in the same boat with a dozen other probably qualified projects as well. And you should reach out earlier. And uh, we are booked, fully booked out through January. We can't start a project until February right now. Um, And I've been telling people, you know, kind of get, your foot in the door. How serious are you about this stuff? Because good 
good agencies and teams, they kind of have a finite capacity. Um, so you kind of got to... They, they understand what they're going to be getting into. Um, but it's just sometimes it is out of the, the person's control. You know, uh, some people don't want to talk about it until the money's in the bank because of, you know, the holiday and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, in a perfect world, we'd be building these things all year wrong. But like in reality, there's a huge like disappearance of merchants like between November, like basically th- between Black Friday and Christmas. Like it is if you're like uh, a consultant like me and Kurt, nobody's reaching out about a new project. And it's just the second week of January, everyone's going to land up in our inbox probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it goes. Um, so, all right, tell me if you've had this experience. Merchant reaches out to you and goes, well, I need you to make my store better because I know it can be better, but I can't tell you how you figure that out. Yeah, you're the expert. You should know. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's I'm sure anyone that runs an agency has experienced some sort of interaction like that. A lot of them, it, it isn't um, a challenge, right? It's like, you're the expert. You tell me. It's never like that. It's more like, I have money and I have this awesome business and I want it to be better. I hear you're good. Please help. Right? It, it's coming from a really earnest place of need. And it, the immediate answer is, I don't know. You got to like figure out what's going on. Right? And so that has been a challenge that we've been dealing with at our agency since we started 8 years ago. And slowly, you know, we're starting to figure out how to how to address it. So that's kind of where our Shopify diagnostic came from. It's a, just a really fancy term and name. And I'm sure this name is going to get stolen the second this thing goes live. And I'm sure there's going to be a million other agencies out there with a Shopify diagnostic. But it's a series of audits where we run through a store to help build an idea of like what direction that we should go with potentially working together, what the project might look like, and things. What 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 should you work on really? As with if you have a Shopify business, an e-commerce store, like these are the things that we think you should work on. Um, so the main audits that we're going to run through this is going to be a front-end UX audit. Then we're going to go and look at their app stack and their technology choices. So an app audit, and then we're going to look under under the hood. We're actually going to look at the code and see what's going on under there. Um, and I'll kind of pause there and see which one do you want to like kind of talk about first. So it's theme audit, app audit. Was there a third one? Yeah, it's front-end UX audit, back-end code audit, and app audit. Let's start with the boring one, back-end code. Uh, yeah, very boring, but it's crazy the stuff that you'll notice. So first of all, if it's a theme we've never heard of, we're always interested to learn like, well, how good is this theme? Um, we use senior Shopify developers to get in there. I'm not a developer. I, don't, I can't tell you one spaghetti from another, but we've got some amazing people that work with us that can. And so what they're looking for is the technology that was used to build the theme. How dated is that technology? Is it utilizing some of the newer kind of Shopify integrations like storefront stuff? Another thing that we usually notice is like how much customization has been done to this theme and how skilled was the developer that did that customization. So what's that what that tells you is how hard is this going to work, be to work on if we were to work together? And is this going to be a situation where you're pulling on a string of a sweater and the whole thing unravels? And it, something that should have taken a, you know, a week is now go- taking a month because something was built the wrong way the first time. Um, another thing that actually this is quite popular and this has been happening for the last year or two is we'll see people that have the site speed hack embedded into their, their code base. And it's obfuscated code like intentionally hidden code that breaks the page speed score makes you feel good but doesn't actually improve anything. Yeah, you're still you're still ugly. You're just I don't know, you got a good tinder picture is basically how that thing works out. So if that's in there, that's a big red flag that we call out. A lot of that is whenever we're in a position where we are the client is like in a position where they want to know is it worth redesigning or can I use this theme still and optimize this theme. And so a lot of this underlying stuff is to determine like whether that's a good idea or not. And so if you know they've got this code that's obfuscating stuff, they've got a lot of customizations that were done by maybe like a junior dev that really didn't know what they were doing. There's a lot of just gunk in there. Like we're probably gonna lean towards to probably redesign this thing. They got the upwork special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if it's pretty clean, it seems well maintained. It's a modern, it's a more modern theme. 
uh, things are making sense, uh, then we're going to be like, yeah, this is actually probably a pretty good base to kind of start optimizing from. Um, so that's what we're really looking for in the code audit. There's a little bit more nerdy stuff in there, especially around performance. We're looking at page speed and performance within that as well. And then once we're at, all right, so it either if it doesn't pass that check, then immediately we're like, all right, start over. You know, online, yeah. go to online store 2.0, get a clean theme and build what you want and consider this one a learning experience, a trial phase to figure out what works for you. And now that you know that and your vision is sharpened and now we could, we could build you what you really want. So we pass, let's just, you know, that theme code audit is really like pass fail. From there, I'm guessing UI UX audit is next. This is the more subjective squishy one. How do we approach that? It, you're right. It is subjective and squishy. And so Andrew on our team was really just like, all right, we're going to make this thing so our opinion is out of it until we're writing the summary. So it's very suggest it's very just binary questions, right? So I can give you some examples. Um, we're mainly looking at the buying journey. So that's going to be homepage, collection, product page, checkout, you know, the things that truly matter. Um, but we've got some specific uh, things we're looking for, right? So here's an example, right? It's like, is the navigation structure clear and intuitive? Which is awesome when we're doing this for someone we've just met because it should be our first time on the website. So you know, we take a look. Does this navigation make sense to me as a first-time customer? Do I know how to get to things, how to buy the products, how to understand it? Uh, while that's a little bit subjective, it's pretty close to being like, yeah, this makes sense or no, this is just off the wall. Um, navigation is... Uh, how much time do you guys spend on navigation when you're rebuilding websites? A lot. Because merchants don't. And that's the thing that really uh, has outsized gains. It's like, can you come up with better copy? Can you come up with a better navigation? Because that navigation is more than just getting around the website, right? It's how quickly can you get me to the thing that is most relevant to me? And often the navigation becomes a quick way to figure out what that site is about. Yeah, so so that's that's one thing we're looking at. It kind of is that navigation. And then on the homepage... You know, first thing we're looking at the hero section and be like, does this give me the, an idea of what this company is, or is this a picture without any text that doesn't really make any sense? Uh, you know, does, does it actually include uh, their unique like tagline about the business? Like, we make socks for people without feet, right? That'd be a crazy thing, <laughs> but it's very specific. And now you know what this business does. Um, but sometimes it's it's kind of up to your imagination. If you don't know what the product is or how you got there, you're like, they could be selling socks, shoes, hats. I don't know. This is just a picture of a guy. Um, so sometimes you start to point out these things. And a lot of it within UX is like merchants are so close to it and it's they just need to it's hear... obvious to them. They spend yeah. more site more time on the site than anyone else. Yeah. So there, we're looking at things like that. And then we start getting more into the collection pages. And this is where navigation goes hand in hand with filtering and searching. We're like, how good and how easy is it for me to click around and, and get to the black t-shirt and an Excel that I, that's all I want? You know, Does that not exist? Like, mm, that's, that's a call out. You should probably look at that. And a lot of this UX audit stuff is best practices. Um, and a lot of the suggestions from it are... I mean, sure, you could argue you should split test them, but sometimes it's just like, this is just wrong. You should do this. But there are some call outs in here. It's like, all right, you should start split testing some of these things. Um, you know, and then we dive into some other areas of it, like how is their search? Are they using autocomplete? Or is it smart search? Or is it like old school? Is it weird? Um, do they have any cool stuff in the cart? Are they, you know, giving upsells or cross sells? Like, does the site have bundling? Like, do they have subscription? Does this make sense for subscription? Is, and then there's a few things that are kind of leaning towards accessibility, but we'd never say we're an accessibility uh, consultant by any means. But it's like, are the fonts legible? You find with a lot of legacy brands, they're getting like super small. And it's just like... Yeah, the tiny... I got some light gray text on a dark white background. Okay. And it's, it's size 11. You really squint at it. Yeah. So so there's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, but the UX audit is... Um, usually feeds a lot of ideas into if we're going to improve an existing store because their code isn't trash. Uh, it gives us a lot of stuff for kind of our to-do list. It's like, all right, well, this stuff is all obvious. And here's a lot of cool stuff that we should maybe split test. I like this plan. 
All right, I see how this works. I like this. The now when you run, you review the list of apps, and this we do a lot of because apps are such. They could be a pain center, both in they add recurring cost. Um, they can add fragility to a store. I find, you know, in the game of e-commerce whack-a-mole, you know, squishing bugs, there's often apps are the culprit. So in your app audit, what are you looking for? A few things. One is like, do they have apps in areas where they don't need them? Sometimes it's, again, it goes back to merchants don't know what they don't know. And you can be like, hey, you've got five apps that are doing the same thing here, but it looks like you're only paying for this one. Sometimes it's just reminding them to, to, to delete apps. And then also reminding them that like, hey, these five apps put code in here. We need to delete that code. Sometimes it's like exploring uh, what functionality they wanted to build into their theme that's a little bit more robust where an app does make a lot more sense. An example of that would be kind of upsells. And depending on where we want to put that in the journey, I think hard coding and upsell is pretty easy in the cart. But if you have got a more uh, robust catalog and you need it to be a dynamic upsell, that's when a, 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 an app makes a lot more sense. So you can kind of tailor the upsell to whatever the heck's in the cart. We do have kind of like an internal blacklist of apps that were like, this thing sucks or is bad for these reasons. And you should consider moving to, to these apps instead. Um, has nothing to do with who we're partnered with or not. And the only people that we partner, partner with are apps that we like know work well. But a lot of it is getting through there and helping them streamline their app choices and delete as many as possible. And then confirm which ones we need to get that functionality that we need for their customers. And you know, get rid of Shogun, basically. Ouch. Poor Shogun. If you have to use a landing page builder, you know, I for me, I am guessing you have the same feeling as what do I need it for? I can in a good online store 2.0 theme, I could treat it as a landing page builder. Yeah, what we have been doing is building landing page templates for our clients in, you know, as part of the project. So we'll build a template that doesn't have a header and footer and it has all of the sections from their theme within there. And you can usually do whatever you like, what you need with that. Uh, and then if you have that, then you can do really fun stuff with like IntelliGems and like heat mapping software. And it, you can build it all within your Shopify kind of ecosystem. You don't need any. Secondary CMSs. Uh, you don't have any oddities with your tracking softwares because it's all still within your Shopify store. So everything should work a lot more seamlessly as far as like your data collection goes. People could argue that it wouldn't be as fast as you know some of the ancillary landing page builders out there that you'd put on a subdomain. And it's really kind of up to your business. I think you can get exactly what you need, like doing landing pages on Shopify with 2.0. I I would agree. And I think it has, it, there's SEO benefit to that versus creating it on uh, a subdomain. And, you know, plus all the, you're right about analytics and tracking getting weird. Cross domain analytics is messy at best. Did you know that most Shopify stores are leaving 10 to 20% of their revenue on the table with every single purchase? Each year, Shopify merchants make New Year's resolutions to increase profits, but they overlook one crucial aspect maximizing every order with upsells. That's like breaking your promise on day one, but you could turn that resolution into reality with Zipify one-click upsell. One-click upsell is the secret weapon Shopify merchants are using to unlock extra revenue on every single sale. I've seen this app transform stores, doubling their revenue. In fact, one-click upsell has already helped merchants like you make half a billion dollars in extra upsell revenue for your stores. Zipify OCU is the original Shopify upsell app, and it's been boosting AOV, that's average order value, since 2016, thanks to its seamless integration and intuitive upsell funnels. With the most upsell placements, AI-driven copy suggestions, and mobile-friendly designs, it's no surprise that the average OCU user increases revenue 10 to 15% as soon as they set up the app. The new year brings new opportunities, my friend. So start your 2024 strong with the app that makes your revenue goals a reality. Zipify one-click upsell. Go to zipify.com slash Kurt and start your 30-day free trial today. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T to try Zipify one-click upsell for free. Don't just make resolutions, make profits. Add Zipify one-click upsell today and kick off the new year with a lot more sales. Within this, what do you think are the most, what's the most common area of improvement for folks? 
I would say the most common area of improvement, it, like with the app audit, they it, it's wild how much knowledge you and I have just from like being in this ecosystem forever. We can quickly scan a list. Because those things are good. Those things are bad. I've never heard of that. And just that alone is like super helpful to, to potential clients or clients. Um, so just helping them confirm or make better choices within their apps is something that we've got a lot of really good feedback around. Um, another thing is... And we've got some case studies on our website about just this kind of diagnostic. They like to either uh, be confirmed in their decision that they were already going to be made make or like us help them from making a bad decision. So an example of that was a client was going to uh, invest quite a bit in redesigning their store before Black Friday, Cyber Monday uh, on a really short timeline, which kind of sounded like a you know that's already kind of sketchy. Uh, but we took a look at things for them and we're like, you actually shouldn't do any of that. This is perfectly fine. Uh, just do what you want to this. You know, Make sure you've got your heat mapping software installed. Make sure that you've got all your analytics kind of set up so you can see what's going on during that high traffic traffic season. And then you can make you know a better choice in Q1 of redesigning then or even further optimizing this because it was like a really well-maintained code base. They thought it was like slow and bad. And I was like, no, this is pretty legit. Like, who told you this? <laughs> it, it, that's the other thing is you have to know whose advice to listen to. And that's tough. You know, I think there's it's probably just a gut check. It's like what resonates with you what makes sense so what are some effective like let's assume i i have a store and it and it's solid you know i've got a one and a half percent conversion rate got 150 dollars aov i'm getting a thousand visitors a day that would be a really solid business to have and you know at that point you have a very solid foundation what in a store with a solid foundation like that what are either a, a typical key area or like some effective low effort changes for someone who's just like, they just want to scratch that ish that itch and give me a fresh new look. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of things, right. And I'm just going to make some assumptions here. Uh, it's a mature store. They've, you know, th they've got, uh, some different products and whatnot, but there's probably some things they're not doing. I would say like how, Deliberate is their kind of upsell and cross sell. Like all their AOV motivators is how we kind of talk about it internally. Like, how does all that stuff look? Right. And some clients just let their customers buy what they want to buy and they don't make any suggestions, which is weird. Uh, so, like, free easy money is a post purchase upsell. It's just like they already bought, like, try to sell them something else. Um, but you can put all those kind of AOV motivators throughout the customer journey. So, um, Unbound Moreno does a fantastic job of this, by the way. Wish they were a client. They're not, but they do a great job of this upsell stuff. They have an upsell on their product page uh, on their t-shirt. Uh, you want to... it like Right under, the, I think, the Add to Cart button, it says, like buy three and save. And it sends you to the three t-shirt bundle. So just right there, they've got like a pretty pretty cool upsell. And then in the cart, they've got upsells. In the checkout, they've got upsells. Post-purchase, they've got upsells. And I've yet to audit a store that has consideration of those types of AOV motivators like that intentional throughout their journey. Bundling is huge. Bundling is hard. Bundling is unique for a lot of customers. Um, so it's so it's just unique to products. Like you you can do like some cool bundle builders for t-shirts, right? But you couldn't like do that for some super high uh like couches. You're not buying four couches. So like figuring out how you're building those bundling things is, is a pretty fun endeavor. We talked about a lot about landing pages. A lot of clients still don't have landing pages. And so that's like an easy win. You work with their marketing team about their best offer and you help them build a landing page out on 2.0. You know, they might not be doing any split testing yet. Um, and that goes hand in hand with having like heat mapping software installed and like seeing where people are actually clicking and interacting, what they're doing, and user recordings for sure. Um, so we were we're really big fans of like IntelliGems or like Shoplift uh, for doing the split testing stuff on a store. Um, and then like Hotjar or like heatmap.com is a really interesting new player in the space uh, for heat, ma uh, heat maps and customer recordings. Um, but all that stuff is more getting into like some real fun CRO things. In all right, so you brought up CRO. In terms of measuring effectiveness of these changes, are we doing you know, A then B tests? How are, which, you know, the, those have their own issues. Uh, are we are we not worrying too too much about it? How do we go about this? 
Yeah. So when you when you do the audit, right? That's a lot of heuristic insights from her. It's just that's expert insight. I have been building e-commerce stores for eight years. This is right, and that's wrong. Is a statement I'm allowed to make. Um, sometimes I can even go as far as to say is like we can split test that, but that's just going to waste two weeks. We could do a test that'd be a little bit more interesting to learn from. Um, so a lot of that stuff, I hate saying low hanging fruit, but a lot of it you can just do. Uh, Josh Frank, who I know you know, and who taught me a lot about CRO, is just like make bigger tests. Like don't test the small stuff. Um, yeah. Yes. So- yeah. I, I talked to him too, and he was like, rather than do the tiny test that has you know all this noise in there, make it like. You know, you don't want to test button color. You want to test an entire page layout. Yeah, and then you get much faster, more statistically significant results. CRO is a f- funny kind of service offering and in, in just industry in general because a lot of people have opinions on it. And doing it the right way scientifically takes forever. <laughs> so you gotta kind of make some choices into like where you want to see results, and you can measure that by the money in the bank. Um, what's actually coming in from these sales? But back to to CRO, when you are approaching things that need to be tested, yeah, we want to run split tests. Uh, Intelligems or Shoplift will give you some great split testing capabilities. Now that Google optimizes is sunset, I think you know VWO is a little expensive for most merchants, um, and that also requires a little bit higher of a educational lift on how to use that product uh, versus something that's just a Shopify plugin that allows you to clone templates and make the choices within the customizer and know exactly what you want to do there. Um, And you can get some cool statistically significant results from bigger tests, not button colors like we already talked on. Uh, I think that's definitely something a lot of merchants should lean into. But caveat there is going to kind of have the traffic to support it. I don't think a sub million dollar merchant is really going to get crazy results from split testing like they're going to need to go further back in the funnel to start testing things like they're not going to get as many conversions to get them what they need so they're going to have to do like add to carts or page yeah the amount the amount of purchases required to do statistically significant useful split testing is just outrageous yeah um outside of like the best time i ever had split testing we worked with a store that had it, it retail chains with 500 plus locations across the country. When you get something like that, ah, it becomes very, it becomes easy and quick to do your split tests versus, but even then you still need two weeks for it to be significant. Um, and you may not hit it. So it, I love split testing, but it is not, it's not always practical. I think is the, the, th- the takeaway there. So one thing I think is interesting, customer feedback has not been mentioned yet. How I love customer feedback. It's so useful. How how crucial is it for you? How do you you get it? Yeah, uh, we also love it. It's only been mentioned because I don't have like notes and I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. Uh, so Hotjar has a cool customer feedback survey just like built right in. Uh, again, Josh uh, gave us some cool insights here. Here's some secrets, people. On your collection page, you have this thing pop up and ask how you got here. And always open-ended questions. No, no uh, multiple choice. You don't want to feed them answers. You want their their answers in their own voice. Um, unlike product pages, when people are abandoning, ask them like what information uh, is missing from the page. Uh, post-purchase surveys. Ask them, you know, what brought them there. Or there's some other cool questions you can ask about why they bought or, or things like that. Also, you can send out emails, and I would probably. You know, gate this to your top buyers or people that bought in the last week or something. Incentivize and be like, "Hey, we want some feedback about X, Y, and Z." Um, you know, we'll give you a ten dollar gift card or something. Uh, you can get a lot of really cool information there. Also, you can take it a step further. You can do like user testing, which is different than customer feedback or cus- or like user recordings. But this is like uh, hiring. I don't know if you, we call them professionals, but they're like internet browsers with a job uh but they'll like yeah they're people who are always online and you can pay them to browse your site yeah they'll tell you what's wrong uh for money which is not that expensive uh you know you're talking less than 100 bucks to get one of these things done um you can learn a lot from that as well uh just things that are broken low hanging fruit i mean uh obviously you can get people to tell you what's wrong with your website in words but user recordings 
you can see how people are interacting with your website and what isn't working by what frustrates them. Uh, one of my favorite things to do, I like, I'll watch them at one and a half X speed, 30, watch 30 minutes of these things, just looking at only the rage click stuff on mobile. Yeah. And by like 15 minutes, I am screaming as I'm watching people just wildly misuse a site. But when you see the same seemingly stupid issue three times in a row, five times in a row, then suddenly you go, ah, they're not the stupid ones. I am, <laughs> right? I have to fix this and make it work the way That they picture should be a button, I guess. It's like, oh, I guess you click on that, it's supposed to do something because everybody seems to think it does and they're mad that it doesn't. For anyone that hasn't installed user recordings, like what you can do through Hotjar, any heat mapping software usually has like a user recordings uh, feature. People are going to interact with your website in the most ridiculous way that you never would think is possible. And that's just how the internet works. I'll, yeah, I'll show, I'll share some of these screen recordings with people and they'll go, are they messing with you? I'm like, no, they don't know. They have no idea. It'll really fill up kind of your like testing, uh, kind of like wherever you're keeping track of ideas for testing or some of it's kind of obvious. It's like, we don't need to test that. That's obviously broken. Um, but yeah, you'll get a lot of ideas from running through that. For sure. So, okay, looking forward, any upcoming trends in e-commerce or Shopify features that we should be prepared for? I think trends like performance and page speed is super top of mind for people uh, these days. And obviously, you and I were chatting uh, outside of this about some solutions in the ecosystem and how they affect page speed. I think that's going to be interesting to monitor uh, and see, you know, how that affects things like because if you look at nike.com it's got a one on performance but i think they're doing okay right uh but other people like are asking to be in the 90s when it comes to this performance thing and i think um you know lightspeed is maybe not the best judge there because it's like a generality of the internet like a portfolio website with static content versus a robust e-commerce cms like those are two different things that you're measuring speed on so take take it with a grain of salt but I think performance is going to be something a lot of people are looking into uh, in 2024. I think um, landing pages are still going to be super popular. I think a lot of people are going to look into doing those with 2.0. Um, I think that there's still that low hanging fruit there. Like yeah. number one, if you're not on online store 2.0 yet, why you're disadvantaging yourself? Move to 2.0. It's ready. Uh, and then after that one, sounds like heuristics, screen recordings, etc. Uh, if you're doing any kind of marketing campaigns, landing pages is such a, an easy win, right? A little bit of effort, but they make a, they have an outsized impact. What else? Yeah. So here, here let me break down our electric eye strategy in, is basically like build a better mousetrap and then optimize your mousetrap. So if, <laughs> so we're going to test it to see what your mousetrap looks like first, which is your website. Uh, if it doesn't suck, we'll just move into optimization. But Sometimes there are some obvious like red flags. It's like you should probably invest in doing this the right way because then we know nothing is broken. So then we can optimize it from there. Um, so e commerce is three magic numbers you've got your sessions, your conversion rate, and your average order value. Um, both of our agencies don't do really much that impacts sessions. We don't do you know, advertising or marketing really. We'll give right. people ideas, but we're not. That's not our bread and butter. So we just ignore sessions. That's up to your advertising and marketing team. But average order value and conversion rate—that is 100% in our wheelhouse. So for average order value, that comes around to getting more stuff in the cart, more revenue per visitor, right? So that's where you want to do these upsells and cross sells throughout the customer journey. Like, what is the offer that's going to resonate? That resonates with my not only my product but my customer and gets them to buy more stuff. Um, and where in the journey that is bundling is like a kind of a f interesting consideration of what solution is going to work best for this customer. I would argue lifetime value is akin to AOV in a sense where you can start talking about subscription and membership uh, are things that we can impact to help improve the site around AOV, I guess. Um, and then so outside of AOV, then it's conversion rate, right? So that's performance. That's you know the UX of the website and then uh, gets a little more sticky into kind of like copy and offer and split testing, uh, you know, to try to eke more percentages out when it comes to CRO. And I, I would put landing pages on CRO too. For sure. What's a 
What's a common myth you want to dispel? What's the one that drives you crazy? Oh, uh, that you need a beautiful website to make money. For sure. Ugly converts, man. I my favorite thing ever is when a cl- client like comes to us for an audit or something, and I'm like, oh, that was interesting. Four million dollars this month. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if they're doing this, this is going to be a home run. <laughs> like that's it's so exciting to like see like all these bad choices, but they're still just printing money because a good product outweighs all of the stuff you read on Twitter. It's just a good product will sell itself. I'd agree with that because I've seen it. So as we wrap up, where could people learn more about you? You can hear me interview brands on our podcast uh, once a week. It's called Honesty Commerce. Um, the main feed, I'm interviewing brand founders, asking them how they did it, how they came up with the idea, how they found their customers, how they scaled it, what worked for them. Um, I also interview kind of bonus episodes with subject matter experts. I just had Kurt on. Uh, you can go find that episode. We talked about migrations. It was really fun. Um, if you are curious about our agency and what we do, it's electriceye.io. Um, I can give away a few of these diagnostics. Uh, so be quick about reaching out. Uh, but Sean, my business partner, who Kurt knows, will tell me no pretty quickly. Uh, so get in line quickly, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what we're up to. You know, at the start of the show, you said, yeah, have you talked about this? Saying we sell the Shopify diagnostic. I'm sure a whole bunch of other people are miraculously going to be selling Shopify diagnostics soon. And I'm one of them. Uh, it's such a great idea. I'm, I mean, do it. Uh, I'm going to start working on my own. Yeah, I, I, it's now this is going to be a lot of inside baseball, but we should leave this this next five minutes in. But from like a service offering and service business perspective, giving a people a taste of what your good and your smarts are is just such a good idea. Um, it, it really will kind of get them hooked on working with you if you can give them some really awesome advice at the beginning. It a hundred percent. It's that um, well, it's a, a demonstration of of expertise and authority. It's like okay, don't tell me, show me. And that's, that's what you're able to do when you can work in these, these smaller, low effort, low risk engagements. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the, we do sell the diagnostic. It's on our site. I think it says $2,500 next to it. So normally we are selling this thing, but every once in a while I'm allowed to give it away for free. It keeps our team sharp. It, you know, strategically free is a very uh, interesting concept. Strategically free. I like that phrase. Uh, yeah. Uh. I if anyone listening to this also has an agency and they're not listening to the Two Bobs podcast, it is a fantastic world of wealth for agency owners. Yeah, Two Bobs is a good one. That uh, I like that one a lot. So, uh, Chase Clymer, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Kurt. Uh, thanks a lot for having me.